Hi, and welcome to the Birth Visionary Podcast, where we talk tools, resources, and taking action with birth workers and maternal health advocates committed to social justice and systemic change. We help you get clear about your vision and values so you can lead with authenticity and intention in your unique work. So welcome everybody to the Birth Visionary Podcast. I am so thrilled today to have with us Kim Summer. Kim, um, welcome. We've been connected through Instagram for some time now, and I'm just so glad that we are finally having a sort of in-person, face-to-face conversation. So welcome. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really happy to be here and to be talking with you today. Great. I think, you know, I always try to think of a word or two that comes to mind when I think about the folks that I'm interviewing. And for you, it was so easy to come up with the word that I think about when I am on your Instagram page, like perusing your work and, and the parts of your life that you choose to share with us. And I feel like authenticity, mm. that's what comes across for me and what I know oh. about your work through what you choose to share on that platform. Right. So, um, uh, thanks. So. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons I was really drawn to wanting to talk to you is um, the way that you've intentionally highlighted parts of your journey personally, in, uh, and of course, professionally as well. And I've, and to me, you know, as someone who doesn't know you as a friend or as a person that we, you know, we've met in person, right. um, it just seems so authentic. And it seems like there's so much intention behind the way you live and the work that you do. So I'm grateful that um, you're willing yeah. to share those parts of your story with us. Right. Thanks. I really, I do appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I think that I, I take social media, you know, seriously, but also not too seriously sort of at the same time. And for me, I feel like it's, it's really important um, for what I put out there and what I share. And I think just energetically, that's important to me um, and how I sort of like, announce, you know, kind of like my place in both the birth world and my personal life. And I certainly, um, I certainly do share with intent. I think it just doesn't fit for me to be one of those people that, you know, shares like every day at noon to try to like, you know, meet, meet the needs of friends or followers or whatnot. And that's just, you know, that's just for me and other people, they have a different story. Um, I think for me, it's more, I've called it kind of like a journal for the journey. Mm-hmm. kind of I like my that. online journal for the journey. And I was given some advice, like maybe last year sometime. And somebody said, you know, you can really use it for intention and writing. So when things come to me, I write these little snippets and then I share what I feel like sharing. And I could go back and print out all of my Instagram posts and they could ultimately be a story book like a poetry book of like, and so that kind of gave me more of like the, the direction and how I wanted to go and what I wanted to share. Mm-hmm. If yeah. that makes sense. It makes so much sense. And I feel like our lives are really, they're really complicated and really multi-layered and mine is very much so. And it would be overwhelming to try to just, you know, share everything that's going on in one day or everything that's in my head. So I try to um, try to really just share what speaks to me. Mm-hmm. And know? that comes through. I mean, you really are a storyteller uh, in, in that description of how you approach it and the way that it comes through, you know, I'll speak for myself to me is you really are a storyteller. And I mean, and you had me hooked on your story, I, your, your move 
your move back to, now you moved back to Wisconsin, right? From right. We moved to Santa Barbara area. Right. So we moved from Carpinteria, um, which is a few miles South of Santa Barbara and moved to Wisconsin where my partner is from during the pandemic. So we moved to rural Northern Wisconsin to Amish country. Yes. Right. So that was a, um, you know, that was a really interesting experience for me. I didn't realize how moving um, can really trigger grief. So a lot of people were privy to that on my social media. <laughs> yeah. I, really, I really talked about it a lot. Um, and I also um, had a medical termination for um, maternal reasons while I was there, which I talked about also on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so it was, a, reading through it, was that. A, it was a heavy. It was a heavy time. I think I'm still sort of processing it since it's been such a short amount of time. But, um, but yeah, it was it was really interesting, especially as a birth worker to be pregnant, to be in a new state, in a new town, and not have a single piece of my own community, and then have to decide to go through, mm-hmm. you know, a medical termination. Yes. And it, um, yeah, it was really um, sort of mind boggling. Incredibly heavy, intense, and I I remember, yeah, I remember feeling grateful that you shared those parts of your journey with the community because, of course, those things make others feel less alone. And then also, you know, your decision to move back, I felt like this tremendous sense of, wow, she's just given people permission to change their minds. Right. And I don't, and you know, again, we see a limited part of the story, but you returned to Carpinteria, right? We came home. Like I came right back to Carpinteria. I'm just a mile from where my other house was. Wow. Right. Yeah. That was so interesting. I, I really learned a lot, not just about myself, but about other people too. And I didn't realize how much self-preservation we have over big choices that we make and then turning around and saying, oh, Hey, that didn't work for me maybe I want to make a different choice. And it was so, I probably got more messages about that than almost anything else about choosing to just say, Hey, wow, I moved across the country, thousands of dollars purchased a home and this is not a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. You know? And that was, um, it, I mean, for me, it was such a, I I was really, it was a multi-layered process of grieving because of the termination, because of my older children staying home. And it was, it was really interesting. I'm, I'm in a, I'm at the university of Wisconsin, um, getting a bachelor's in writing. It's the only writing specific program in the country. So Mm -hmm. there's obviously there's, there's creative, creative writing and literature degrees around the country, but it's specifically writing. Um, and so I'm finishing a degree there and in my poetry course, all of my writing was about, um, the Chumash and the first inhabitants of our land here in, 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 uh, Carpinteria and and this, and this, this, you know, wider range area. And my, my professor emailed me and was like, what is going on? What's happening? Like not in necessarily negative way, but she was like, why is every single writing about, and I was having this like incredible, um, you know, this, uh, this calling to learn about my homeland that I had left. And all of my writing was about the Chumash. I was like, you know, um, researching um, the, 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 you know, the history of Santa Barbara. Yeah. And then the real specifics of, of Carpinteria. And so I had kind of dove in, I didn't share much of this on social media, but I'd sort of dove into that. And that was part of my healing and process um, was writing about it. And I, I 
really learned how much um, our land and our environment affect us, you know, and um, it gave me a whole new perspective and a wider range of empathy for people that are displaced around the world and around the country and what that must be like. Mm-hmm. Hope he's having fun. <laughs> right, I noticed so- that in your, in your profile on Chumash um, land. And right. I, I always, and I thought, I'm like, I love that she says that out loud. I love that it's there. And I, I felt like there's a deeper story behind that. And I'm so glad that you're telling this part. Right. Yeah. I, I changed that. I mean, and I've always been really cognizant and aware a carpenteria means carpenter it. Um, and uh, there's, so I, I knew the history, but I, I had this, you know, really incredible sort of like emotional experience with the land that I came from. And um, that just really came out in moving. So it was a really, it was a really interesting um, experience. Hmm. Yeah. How do you think that deeper understanding of your connection to the land, the history has, if at all, impacted your birth work? Because you are currently a practicing doula, right? Right. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. And, um, and of course, it tied in because I think that that's just a natural organic thing for me. Um, so I, one thing that I do um, that's really important to me is I work closely with some of the Hispanic teens in our area. So as a lot of people know, I have two, well, now my son is 20 and then my daughter's 19. So I'm well connected to the teenagers here in town. And I've had, I've had the honor of supporting, um, many in their birth postpartum and breastfeeding journey. Um, and, um, it, you know, the experience of leaving and then looking at birth work and looking at culture and indigenous culture in my area really um, tightened the lens, tightened the focus for me um, in, in really making sure that, you know, supporting cultural needs to these birthing teens, I mean, to their family history here, you know, there's something that like midwives you'll hear say sometimes, and 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 this is I'm sort of generalizing, but you'll hear, and and I've had this happen multiple times where they'll say things like, "Every person you add, you know, is an extra hour of labor." Like yes, to, like, yes, right. I remember that right. vividly. Yes, right, and so that. right, and so one thing about me that's that's I always make very clear, and that's really an important thing is that I loathe blanket statements. I don't believe in blanket statements. I think that there is so much subjectivity, especially in the birth world. Um, And one thing is not right for every one person. And so when it comes to my families here, I had a teen mom last year and it was incredibly important that every single member of the family was there, including a priest that would come to the home birth. And I really sat and, you know, listened to what their needs were surrounding their cultural expectations, which is our job, especially as a white birth worker, like that's that's my job. And if they're inviting me into the space, it's how can I, how can I support them in the best way that I, I know how while listening to them, which a lot of it is just listening. It's listening and then, and then supporting that, you know, supporting those needs. Um, and so, you know, 
sort of coming back to the needs of families, these are traditions that have taken place for centuries. And, um, you know, I think that me moving and, and thinking back on um, the importance of honoring longstanding traditions and other cultures, especially as a birth worker, is, is clearly paramount. We know that. And it's something that I've always known and, and, and fought for and adhered to, but I think it just tightened the lens for me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. just I love your thoughts around not embracing blanket statements because I think, especially in our back to social media, like our social media, especially Instagram driven, right, um, birth community, we see a lot of that because that's the way that we communicate with like those quick visuals, like this is what you know. I could see that as a meme or an image on Instagram, right? Like adding a person, adding um, every person you add is another hour of labor. And I remember that vividly from when I did my first Bradley class, that was really emphasized. Right. Um, But we need to have, we need to allow for the nuance and for the consideration in this, in this example, you're talking about a a very um, important cultural consideration where that might not be best for the birthing person. Maybe more people in the room will help that person birth better. It also makes me think about the ways in which we, people in the birth community, and we can sometimes weaponize information where this is the way it should be, right? But that can actually be, um, I want to stop short of saying the word word violent, but maybe in some cases that's appropriate, but um, we need to be cognizant of those blanket statements we make because one size does not fit all in birth. And that is, I believe that a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I mean, and I just, I don't think that, you know, blanket statements or saying things are one way are safe. Mm -hmm. I, I would agree with you. I don't, I don't think it's safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I'm, I, I'm a really firm believer that birth is an incredibly comprehensive process. So we're walking in, you know, as a birth duel, I'm walking into a family and for me, you know, I look at the family as a whole, their prior history, their relationship, their prior losses, their history of trauma, their expectations around birth, their hopes, their dreams, their fears. Um, most of my clients, what we do is we talk about our ideal birth, the dream birth, every single thing that could possibly go right in your mind. What is that? And we draw, you know, we draw off of that. Mm. And I, I really, um, I mean, and and I, you might know this about me, but 99% of my births are in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love Um, to talk more about that. And that's just, um, for me, that's where I have felt that I was called to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I work well in the hospital and I believe that my advocacy is at the highest in the hospital. Um, and I, you know, I explain to every family that birth is nuanced and we don't know how it's going to go. We can have our ideals and then we work, you know, we work sort of down from there. Yes. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, that's sort of my ideology around it. If that makes sense. No, you know, absolutely. And I love, um, I'd love to talk more about you being called to primarily hospital work, because I will admit most of the doulas I talk to 
I'm in conversation with on the podcast or otherwise are primarily doing home births. Right. Right. And I'm someone, so I'm someone who had two water unmedicated water birth center births. And then my third, I chose to have in a hospital. Okay. And the way that it worked out, I hadn't planned that, but it's what I, I freely chose in the end, like literally like 11th hour choice to not go to the birth center, but go to the hospital just based on intuition. And I didn't have a doula hired because I didn't think I needed one because I wasn't going to be originally in the hospital, but I found myself when I was in, and fortunately I did not have a horrific, you know, the horrific experience that I've heard so many other people have. There were things that were definitely not okay, but Right. You know, I wasn't experiencing what I would call obstetric violence or anything like that. Right. But I found myself like looking around, like, there's a reason doulas are so needed in this space. Right. And so when you say your highest expression of advocacy is within that environment, it kind of gave me the chills because it's true. And I think, um, do you think a lot of doulas are intimidated from primarily working in the hospital space from folks that you know in your community? Um, Or do you see, a mix, like where people will be comfortable, home birth, hospital. So I'm wondering what some of the obstacles are if people, if, you know, most of the people I know don't focus on hospital birth. Um, but I'm wondering what you think maybe some of the obstacles are or what you're seeing in your own community, doula community. Well, what I think first off is that I think, you know, doulas, doulas themselves have evolved really probably in like the last 10 to 15 years. I started my private practice six and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so doulas have become their own entity prior to that. Typically doulas were Lamaz coaches. And we know this, the seventies, the eighties, they were doulas were birth attendants. They were going to be midwives. Most midwives have been doulas. And that was sort of how it went, or they were Lamaz coaches, or they taught Bradley. Um, it, it wasn't this thing that we're seeing now that's really emerged in this last half a decade or so, um, which is doulas are their own entity. We are a puzzle piece in and of itself. Many doulas do not want to be midwives. Many doulas do not want to do other things. They are just doulas. I mean, they work in in variations of maternal health, maybe massage, birth photography, whatnot, but they're really their own thing. And I think for a long time, it was the idea was that doulas really just showed up to birth and waved crystals around in front of vaginas. Like just, you know, I have an image, like full on image of what, right. Here's an, here's an amethyst. Here's an amethyst. Let's get that cervix, you know, moving and grooving. So, um, and I share that with a lot of, you know, when I go to consults and, and often, um, you know, the female partner might say, you know, to her male partner, can you explain what you do? And most of the time, the male partners are looking at me like, oh, we know, like she has patchouli stuffed in her pocket. She's got, and so I sort of have to dispel that, you know, that, that, that myth, if you will. Um, and of course there are duels like that. And yes, I do have crystals in my bag. Yeah. Always, same here. Same here. They're always, right. They're always, on, they're always on me or they're always yes. near my person, but we are not crystal hating people. Please don't send me messages that were made. No, I have like essential oil collection, the crystals and the, and all the things The I have, I have it all message. me. Right. <laughs> I have, I have it all. I just, you know, and it is, and it is a wonderful tool and, and, you know, a support to me personally and how I show up. But, um, I think that for me, so actually interestingly, when I started, when I started, um, working as a doula, so I've been, you know, inherently a, a, a doula my whole life. 
I attended my mom and I've shared this before. Um, I attended the birth of my little sister when I was 10 years old at a freestanding birth center in Ojai, California. And my parents woke me up in the middle of the night. I knew that I was going to be there for the birth. And they said, it's time to go get out of bed. And I remember holding, I could tell you exactly where I was. If we went back to that birth center now holding my mom's leg, waiting for the baby to come out. And my mom screamed my name when the baby came out because it was a girl and I had had three brothers prior. And she's kept screaming my name, Kimberly, Kimberly, it's a girl. So of course that was my first, uh, you know, that was my first birth. My third brother was a triplet. We lost the twins in utero at nine months. And I could tell you where I was during that loss. Um, And I went on to support uh, my mom emotionally. And and really I was much more, much more than just an older sister. Um, And then I had my, I had my first child nine years after watching my little sister be born. So there really hasn't been much of my life where I was not part of or experiencing birth and postpartum. Um, So I had my first son at 19 um, in the hospital. And 15 months later, I gave birth to my daughter in the hospital. And my son was a um, fully medicated birth, not traumatic at all, just not, you know, really eventful, I would say. Yes. Pitocin, epidural. I had an episiotomy that I did not consent to and, you know, and I've worked through that. And, um, and then my daughter, 15 and a half months later, um, I had read, you know, spiritual midwifery, which was sort of my Bible for supporting my mother that she had given me at 10. Mm -hmm. So here I was, you know, 11 years later reading it again and preparing, preparing for the birth of my daughter, which ended up being sort of what I call kind of the pinnacle of, um, you know, my life at that point, I had an unmedicated, incredibly um, hypnotic spiritual birth that I took um, into my own hands by myself um, in the hospital, in the hospital with a doctor that I've now worked with. Oh, that's incredible. Birth, which is, which is really beautiful. And, um, and so that birth was really transformative for me. And then Piper, I had, um, I had Piper, uh, 12 years later, and I had a home birth, a precipitous home birth. And Sadie's birth was, um, was, you know, I don't like to use the word the best, but it was, it was incredible. It was transformative. And um, I think that that may have something to do, you know, with it. But I think that um, the majority of people in this country birth in the hospital system. And we have to meet people where they're at. Not everybody is a great fit for home birth. And I see a lot on social media and I see a lot of people say, well, low risk people should be birthing at home or in the birth center. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that, okay, low risk medically, but we have to look at things from a really deeply comprehensive point of view. If I have a client that has a history of sexual assault, but they are low risk medically, they are probably not a good candidate for a home or birth center if they do not feel called to it. And I'm not going to talk them into that. And I know that that might seem for some people, it might seem counterintuitive. Well, why would you go to the hospital? Because you're putting yourself at more risk for obstetrical violence. You're putting yourself at more risk for, for, um, you know, actions without consent. But the truth is, is that it's so multi-layered and complicated. And I think that doula work is so multi-layered and complicated and we do so much. I do so much more than we could really even portray on social media that it's virtually impossible. I've never even really touched on it because we're dealing with human lives. And the majority of my clients are typically 35 and plus. 
in this area, except for the younger team moms that I'm working with. And they have long, they've had long lives. And we have a lot to unpack when, you know, when we are looking at birth. And for many of them, the hospital is the right choice. And, um, and so I choose to just meet people, you know, yeah. where they're at, if that makes sense. And I really it believe does. that and it's, yeah, it's refreshing to hear you say that because I, you know, last year I made a move to come back into, right. Cl- you know, clinical, I hate to use the word corporate, but I work for a large healthcare system that, that runs, owns and operates a number of hospitals in California and other States. Right. And, um, people were really shocked. Some people were not, but some were really shocked by my choice to go back into clinical ethics work. And for me, coming back into this work after a five-year break was important because after all the birth ethics, birth research I had done, birth ethics research I had done, and through the experience of giving birth to my own three kids, I realized that, you know, even for myself who had two beautiful birth center births, I chose ultimately to be in the hospital because that was the right choice for me, knowing all the risks. Like I had read, you know, met people, heard the st- horrible stories. I knew what the risks were going into the hospital, but in that moment, it felt safer emotionally for me to go into the hospital than to be with the midwife that I did not feel safe emotionally with for a variety of reasons. So, well, well right. Yeah. Right. So coming back and working in clinical ethics for me was important because with the knowledge that I now have, I want to do what I can with my skills and knowledge to help the majority of people who will give birth in a hospital. And yes. you know, so I appreciate you, um, you know, calling that piece out and, and just, again, we are multi-layered human beings and to allow for flexibility to meet people where they are and to, sh- and to use our gifts in a way that is not about like a limited understanding of what birth should be in all circumstances, but open to what is truly best, best for the birthing person. And I think at times we can lose that, that, um, understanding or. I, yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. And I think if you're too narrow sighted or you're not looking at things, you know, really, um, you know, comprehensively, then we can just sort of have these ideas about how birth should go, but it's not about how it should go from our perspective. It's about how it should go from the birthing person's perspective and their family. And there are, you know, there's just so many variables when it comes to birthing and people ultimately have to pick the best place for them. And I think for doulas, I think, you know, you hear a lot of people, you know, say very consistently, doulas don't do medical work, doulas don't do medical work. And and we don't, We, we don't do medical work. We're not you know, medically licensed, but you damn well better know what the heck is going on in a hospital. And I, I am a huge advocate for teaching that I can read every monitor. I know every single procedure. I know how to decipher exactly what is happening. And if you're going to work in the hospital, you know, you have to know what to do in order to be able to advocate. And I think that's where that sort of scope conversation kind of gets sort of wild for some people. Um, but I think it's really important. Yeah. You, have to yeah. Know. you see your role as, in an, as an advocate and you need to have an understanding of what is or potentially being done to your client. Right. And absolutely you have a medical degree, but a basic understanding of what is happening, what this means, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not a trained doula. So I have not had exposure to what training programs are like, or I know there are so many different options for people, but are there some that you would say, um, some schools, some training programs, some opportunities that place more of an emphasis around, um, getting proficient in the medical details, if you know of any, um, you know, that's a really good question because I think a lot of doula trainings, I think now they've evolved and they are including more high levels of advocacy, especially for vulnerable communities and especially for vulnerable communities that are birthing in the hospital. Um, and you still need to know some of those things, you know, going into, you know, going into a home birth as well, of right. course. Um, I did my training through carriage house birth and that was in 2014 and they're out of New York and had a, um, had a chapter in LA. And so I did all of my, I dove into my training in LA. So I worked in about five hospitals in Los Angeles, okay. maybe seven. And it was sort of like doing doula rounds for me. Yeah. I just threw myself in and Piper was nine months old and I was pumping in hospital rooms, Torrance Memorial at Cedars at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And it, I wanted to learn everything I could about the hospital system and about walking in and how I was treated and how I could show up for people. Because it's not always just like Christmas twinkly lights and like the beautiful birth videos that we see online. Like, yeah, that's really great if it is. But I can honestly say after as long as I've been doing it, that the majority of time, it's not quite like that. Yes. yes. It just isn't quite like that. It doesn't mean it's bad. Sometimes that happens. But I would say that birth is so much grittier than it is able to be portrayed And, um, you know, that's the word I use, but as far as like hospital, I think what's important is that in order to serve families, the best, especially families that are more vulnerable to meta to obstetrical violence or to, um, any type of, um, medical, you know, inefficiency or whatnot, um, we have to know what's happening. You can't help someone and you can't advocate if you don't know what's going on. So, um, carriage house still offers a training and I learned a lot from the girls that train there and they have a great, really well-rounded program. Now cornerstone doula has a really great cornerstone doulas has a really great program. Um, Sabia, the black doula, they offer training through her, um, organization. And I recommend all of those. Fantastic. Um, and, and I think it's really, it's finding mentors that speak to you that you want to learn from. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the most important thing. I think mentorship in this work has to be paramount and just ongoing, ongoing education. Yeah. Listening to podcasts like yours. Right. right. The on, <laughs> I mean, the ongoing education piece resonates with me because that is like, this is the story of my life. I mean, if I'm not learning, I'm, oh, I just, I feel like maybe it's to a fault, but I, I I feel like I'm stagnant if I'm not learning something new. And I I think being open for people to be open to learning from new people as well. Oh my gosh. Right. Oh my gosh. I mean, every birth I walk into, I'm a new doula. Mm. Every birth I walk into, I'm every birth. I've got a few more tools in my tool belt that I can draw from maybe because I've been doing it for a few more years, but every single, every single birth, I'm a new doula. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I just remembered now and correct me if I'm wrong. Are you an, a U.S. army veteran? Yes, you are. Yes. So yes. Okay. That was a major, major switching of gears, but, um, it will connect. <laughs> I just remembered that from something that you had posted a while ago. So 
has how has that informed, if at all, your work, the experience of being in the military? Right. Good question. Well, I am a huge advocate for the military. I think that they should send all kids in this country through basic training when they graduate high school. They don't have to stay, but I think they should go for the 12 weeks. Um, I was pretty, you know, when I graduated, I had sort of a dysfunctional family. And when I graduated high school, um, I was a volleyball player. My dad was a pro volleyball player. My brother, all my brothers played volleyball. And so I was sort of expected to continue on, but it fizzled out for me my senior year. I just, um, it just wasn't, it wasn't what I was going to do. And so I didn't have a lot of familial support and, um, I was pretty, I was lost and there was a, um, recruiter came into my history class at Carpentry High School my senior year. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the army. And everybody was like, yeah, right, Kim. <laughs> and the more everybody said, yeah, right. The more I was going to do it. Cause that's of just, my, that's how my personality is. So I joined and I went to, I went through basic training at Fort Jackson, South Carolina and advanced individual training at, um, at um, Fort Jackson, South Carolina. I went in as an, as an administ- administrative as, um, assistant, which is basically, um, you know, just doing paperwork for the military. But my goal was to either be an MP or go into medical services. So that was what I wanted to do. And I ended up getting hurt. I fractured my leg in three places. And so I made the choice to come home. I was uh, I had a pretty serious bout of depression while I was there and made the choice to come home and stay as a reserve. Okay. Um, But basic training really, for me, it took, you know, a small town kid that was a little bit lost in her life and did ultimately what basic training is supposed to do, which is gave me the confidence and um, the know-how and the ability to really show up in my life. And I drew so much of everything that I've done since that time frame. I have drawn off of basic training mm-hmm. and it's rigorous, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really rigorous mm-hmm. and you learn the most important thing. I think that I learned was camaraderie and you don't leave anyone behind. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the theme of my life, being the oldest of five kids in, you know, in a family that had a lot of dysfunction. And so when I got to the military, it felt normal. But what was different for me is that, you know, they also weren't leaving me behind. Mm-hmm. And you just, you don't leave people behind. You never leave them behind. We did a, we had to carry rucksacks on a 12 mile hike and it's to simulate war. So you get out into the middle of nowhere and you have to dig foxholes and it was raining and it was treacherous and you link arms with people so that people can't fall down, down ravines through the rain. And that kind of stuff sort of sits with you. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Just uh, So it's always been something that I've looked back on and um, has always given me confidence, I think. And um, just kind of I don't know. Reminded me that I'm a badass and I can do what needs to get done. <laughs> and and show up for people in the grittiness of birth. And show like up for that, right, right. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, the gritty, I mean, hey, all three of my births were gritty. Even in the birth center, like where the lights were happening and the, you know, I was I'm always amazed at the videos people post where and I believe this can happen. It was just not true to my experience where people silently give birth right? Or at least that's the snippet we see. Oh my gosh. I was, I was a yeller and I mean, gritty, just gritty across the board. The whole right. Gritty, yeah. gritty yeah. is definitely the word. Yeah. Silent, silent, 
I haven't had too many silent birthers either. Maybe a few if I, if I think back on it, but I think, um, you know, I really support, support the birthing person, um, to use their breath as their tool during birth. And it's a lot of what I do in the moment with, with, with the birthing person is, is to focus on, on their breath and, and, and help them realign it if they need it. When mom starts getting really, 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 really high, we can't birth a baby when we're really high. So we have to go really, really low. And sometimes we do that together to get, you know, to get, to get that baby to come down and, and draw out and breath is really important. And some people do silently birth and they don't need anyone around. Yeah. It's amazing. But just the, the variation of experience. And I mean, it's just a reflection of who we are as human beings. We birth the way we live. Someone once said that probably in a class that I took, you know, we birth the way we found that to be a thousand percent true. Isn't isn't it so fascinating? It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. It is really true. I, I love that saying too. And, and I also believe that we, we receive the birth that we need. It's not always beautiful. Sometimes it is really messy. And sometimes, you know, that's just the way it is. And we couldn't change it. We can't go back, you know. Um, But I think that there's a lot of room for improvement, especially in our medical, in our medical world. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's um, without a doubt, without a doubt. A lot of work I do is with practitioners in the medical industrial complex environment and um, they need as the healers need as much healing as the people who are there to be healed. The patients that are and clients and birthing people are there to be healed. Two more questions for you. Sure. First one, just on a gut level reaction. What do you think that, oh, Poppy, we're on video guys and um, she just has (laughs) all over the place and all over. Um, what is one thing that you think the birth worker community needs right now or needs to do differently right now? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I mean, the first word that would come to mind is, is unify. Mm. I think there's so much division right now. There's so much division from so many different vantage points. And I think that if we don't have some type of unity, we can't, I mean, we, you can't serve people. And I get it. It's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. There's going to be people that don't agree with this group of person, but it's pretty ugly out there. I mean, I'm, I really, I'm, you know, not super, super active in talking about birth because it's just ferocious. You have people just tearing people down every which way in a lot of different capacities. There's people getting sued. There's people it's, it's pretty violent actually. And I understand that some of it is, is valid. um, But I think that in order to serve people and in order for everyone to move forward, we're going to have to get out of this contraction (laughs) <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah, and, um, and, and find some sort of unity to come together because I think the ultimate, the goal, the goal is the same. Everybody wants to serve mothers and fathers and babies and do it safely. We want to lower the maternal mortality rate. We want to support black and brown families to have safe births. Um, 
And I know I say that I believe everybody wants that. And I believe that everybody does. I don't know if everyone knows how to get Mm -hmm. to that correctly. So I think it's important to listen to people that do know how to do that. Yes. But, and I think that that's the only way to unify is really listening and um, listening to the people that have important things to say. And those people that have important things to say, figuring out how to say them so that people will be receptive as well, so that we can find some sort of, you know, unity in this space. Cause it is pretty wild out there right now. It is <laughs> wild. I mean, that's what I, I mean, of course, all over social media, you see it. And I think I'm optimistic that we are turning a new leaf. And as you so elegantly said, I think we're moving out of this contraction. Yeah, I, that we're moving I think we are too. And that I think we are too. Are going to begin to find some common ground again. Uh, right. Because society overall has not, you know, just the way, you know, culturally speaking, we've been, you know, the last few years, the last year and a half, coming up a year and a half, especially, um, we have not been, the environment has not set us up <laughs> to, to embrace, um, you know, a unified approach. It's been. Right, right. It's so, it's so divisive, divisive inherently that it's, it's, it's so problematic for people to, you know, and really, I think, you know, shutting up and sitting down and listening could really benefit a lot of people, you know, me included, I'm doing a lot of listening, a lot of listening, not quite as much talking, a lot of listening and listening to families and listening to people that I really look up to. Um, And, um, and I think that that will go a long way. And I think that, I think that you're right. I always have hope and I always have, um, I always have a perspective of positivity. And I think whenever there's darkness, we have no option, but to have lightness. So I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty optimistic that, you know, we're moving in the right direction and there's just always going to be, it's always going to be shaky ground when you're forging new paths. Right. Absolutely true. I mean, talk about forging new paths right now. It is like the most, right. forgiest, is that a word? Forgiest time ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> I just turned 42. And so, yeah, I can't, I right. Start in a moment right. in history, if that is undeniably true, I think. Right. right. So, I agree. Oh, I appreciate those thoughts. So tell the people where we can find more information about you, your services, your work. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much. So uh, my website is kimsummer.com. My Instagram is at mama three birds. Um, and I am always available for emails to chat. I'm a pretty open book um, and always available for birth workers around the country, outside of the country to talk, um, learn and listen. Wonderful. And when is your book coming out? Because you have told us now that you're a writer. Are you working on a book? I'm working on two books. I'm working on a book locally with um, a dietitian here in Santa Barbara. I can't say too much about that one because it's in um, publishing right now. And then I'm working on two other ones um, by myself. So we'll see. Oh, I love it. I cannot wait to buy it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you're doing. Oh, of course. And I'm just so thrilled to be in conversation with you today. Such a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much, Kim.